0: Hey, what's up, guys? This is Pastor Austin from Good Shepherd Church, and this is our podcast. So happy you're tuning in this week to stay caught up on what the Lord's doing in us and through us. I hope this content encourages you. I hope it challenges you, builds up your love for Jesus. Hope you enjoy the message. We love you. Amen. Amen. Well, good morning. What's up? How are we? Okay, a few of you. That's all right. You're probably like, oh, man, first week of June, we thought about going camping. And we should have. Caden's <laughs> preaching about worship again, and you may be right, like, <laughs> honestly. But, um, no, I, I, love, I love worship. And so I kind of went to Austin, and we're taking a pause in the Colossians series to, to just dig deeper um, into our worship, to look at it biblically. And um, last time I spoke with you guys was back in November. It was a long time ago. I spoke on worship then, and so um, even some of the lingo, maybe some of the things I say, if there's any questions or you want clarity on even my heart for worship or the hard worship for this house, I would say go reference that, because that will give a little more direction about even how I came to faith, how I got involved with the church, how I got playing music and doing worship stuff, and um, that was last week in November, but we are going to continue that. We're going to talk, I would say like worship volume two, if you could say it, um, but if you didn't know, I, like I grew up in the church, pastors, kids, Sundays were always really busy for me. Um, and so I've just, I've, I've had the privilege of being around churches, being around churches. And, and I, I am young, I'm 23, but I've been involved with churches and I spent some time um, at a church in Alabama. It was painfully hot and humid, but the church, the church that I was at, there almost like this, honestly, where it's, where it's getting warm here. But the church, the church there, um, we would call it a missional church. Or an attractional church, seeker-friendly church. It was, you walked in and everything was just perfect. It was all, the focus was the comfort of the non-believer. Do they feel comfortable? comfortable Is the temperature right or the lights right? Make sure we're not singing songs that are too vague or weird or odd, or make sure we kind of avoid maybe some of the meatier part of the scriptures. We just, we wanna make sure that the lost find Jesus. And if I can be honest, like they do it better than almost any church I've ever seen. Like, and they bring people to Jesus, and it's, and it's awesome. But as I was there, I knew that I was like, this, this can't fully be it. Like, we can't fully focus on the non-believer. There's got to be more. And so um, later on, I, I had some time at a, a charismatic church where it was encounter, it was encounter, it was encounter. It was the presence of God over everything. And worship was good. It was really good. Like, worship was awesome, but, but we, would, we would blow through Sunday sermons because of the encounter. And, and what I noticed in this process was that um, the, the encounter was so high that we began to forsake things like formation and discipleship and even things like community, things that are vital for the body of Christ to thrive and to survive. It was always encounter. And so I knew, I was like, ah, well, I don't think charismatic, the charismatic church is so much it. And, and so then I, I was able to build some relationships with, with some friends who were in the Reformed Baptist side of things. And it is truth truth, truth, the scriptures. We got to know the word. We got to know it. The Hebrew, the Greek, we got to be able to to tear it up. But the problem was that in a lot of those churches, we can often forsake things like human emotion and the move of the spirit, because it is, no, it is what does the Bible say that is the only thing. And so with all of this, to my knowledge, over the past years and growing up in my dad's church, I just, I knew I was like, I want to blend I kinda wanna blend of everything. I don't think I could say it like that, but I knew I wanted to wanted blend. And and honestly, I think that's one of the reasons why the Lord brought me here. Because like that's what PK, Austin, John, Rob, that's what these guys have been doing. Is it's this fight for holding tension. We're not gonna be fully encounter, not fully formational, fully missional. We're gonna hold all of them in tension. And so what we're gonna look at this morning is worship intention. How can we worship God while still being mindful of the people around us? How can we do it in spirit? How can we do it in truth? All these different things. Because honestly, here at the church, I have the blessing. Um, The question I really have to ask for my job is, are we worshiping God well in the context of worship? Or are we loving God well in the context of worship? That's like really what my job is, is are we loving God well in the context of worship? And we spend 40, 40%, 45% of our time on Sunday mornings worshiping that I think it's just healthy for us to take these times every once in a while to just look at the scripture, to gain clarity, to be affirmed, to be encouraged, to be challenged in how we worship the Lord, how we worship the Lord. So if you guys would, would you just bow your heads with me and let's pray. Well, gracious Lord, we just welcome you here we just welcome your spirit? And as we open up the scriptures and as we look at your word, Lord, would it just, would it read us? Would it shape us? Would it mold us? Would it cause us to look more and more like Jesus? And so God, would we just, would we, would we approach the scriptures with a humble heart, willing to repent, willing to confess, willing to change? Lord, we just ask that the words of our mouth and the meditation of our heart would be acceptable to you, O God, our rock and our redeemer. In your mighty name, and everyone said, Amen. 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 So, Jesus makes this profound statement in John 4, and I said it last time I spoke, but he says, But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him, for God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and in truth. And I've, I've been drawn to this verse for a lot of reasons, primarily because it talks about worship. I'm kind of, if you didn't realize, I'm the worship guy here. I'm the worship director, but I was drawn to it for worship, but I was also drawn to it. Um, I love when the scriptures say something like, the Lord is seeking. Like, I, I, I become the person he's like, oh, hey, God, if you're looking, like, I'm ready to be found. Like, that's me. I'm drawn to verses like this, but I also love this verse because it also speaks of attention. It's not just good shepherd that speaks of living intention. It's actually Jesus who speaks of living intention. Look at this. It says that those who worship will worship in spirit and in truth. The word truth in the scripture is is described as firm. It's unshakable. It's immovable. It's steady. It's constant. It's the rock. It's foundational. But then when you look at the word spirit, which is the same Greek word for wind, And it's breath, it's energy, it's air, it's flowy, it's movement, it's unstable, it's inconsistent, and it's even at times mysterious. So Jesus makes a statement of, hey, I want you, the Father is seeking worshipers to worship in both. Two very different things. And so this morning what we're going to look at is we're going to look at seven Hebrew words of praise. Seven Hebrew words of praise. And I hope that the purpose of this is to encourage us. It's to affirm us. It maybe is to challenge us. But I think the biggest thing I want it to do is I just want it to bring clarity to our worship. Like I want us to be a body where we can we can worship and we don't have to be fearful of, is this biblical, is this not? That's distracting, is it not? And ask these questions. I want us to just be able to let loose and go crazy after the presence of God. Why? Because we, we have the biblical backing. I want to be able to follow the spirit because we have the foundation of truth. Amen? Amen. So, um, but I will give you a little, little bit of a warning. The first, I don't know, five or six minutes of this, like it's pretty informative. So I'm like, maybe get your pens out. We do have notes on the U version, but we're going to walk through the definitions of these seven Hebrew words of praise, and we're going to just look at them one by one, and then we're going to begin to dive into one of them in particular. But one disclaimer I want you to know. We're going to look at one a little closer this morning because I think, it's, I think it's profound. I think it's beautiful. I think it's pure. Like, I'm drawn to this maybe word or this form of worship, but there is not one that is more important than the other. All seven are vital for our faith. All seven are things that the Lord have given us to worship him. So you guys ready? Ready. ready. All right. All right. Here we go. So the first word is Barak. Barak, which means to bless or to kneel or to salute. We see it 330 times in the scripture. An example of this would be the priestly prayer in number six, where it says, the Lord bless you and keep you. That word blesses Barak. May his face shine upon you. I don't even need water. I don't know why I'm holding that. But um, may his face shine upon you. That's Barak. We do this naturally on Sunday mornings. When we're singing songs, we're, we're just blessing his name. It's, it's Barak. It's a form of worship. I love it in Psalms 103 where it says, Bless the Lord, O my soul. Let all that is within me bless his name. Both of those words are barak, barak. The next word is halal, which is where we actually get the word hallelujah, which really just means praise Yehovah or praise Yahweh. And this one is a fun one. This is, it means to shine, to rave, to praise, to boast, to be clamorously foolish and to act madly, to act madly. Do you, have you ever visualized our worship as that? A time to be mad and to act clamorously foolish. I love the word, the, the word clamorous, the antonym of that is quiet. So God, when he was defining these words, he said, hey, I don't want your worship to be quiet and I want to clarify that. So I'm going to add clamorously foolish. We see in 1 Chronicles 16:4, then he appointed some of the Levites as ministers before the ark of the Lord to invoke, to thank, and to praise. That word praise is halal, the God of Israel. And this is a fun one because it means when David, the presence of God, was set up, David appointed ministers to praise God, but with the definition of being clamorously foolish, to shine, to rave, to act madly. So I'm like visualizing in the temple the priests just going crazy in the presence of God. Halal, it's a form of praise. Our next word, which is tehillah. Tequila, it's a song or a hymn of praise, a spontaneous expression of a spiritual song or a hymn of the Spirit, and we see it 57 times in the Scripture. That's just what we're doing. A, a hymn is just a religious song. We're singing that on Sunday morning with the songs we sing here, but there's also this other facet that you see up there that it's the spontaneous expression of a spiritual song. It's a spontaneous moment. It's a new or it's a fresh song. And and we'll look at this one a little bit later. And and a verse there, Psalms 22, verse three, yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. And the word praises there is tehillah, the the written song, the, the hymn, the spontaneous song, the hymn of the spirit. That is what the Lord is enthroned on. We see it in Psalms 34, verse one, for I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise shall continually be in my mouth. The next one, which is zamar, which means to make music, to sing praise, to play musical instruments, to pluck and twang. It's the joyful expression with a musical instrument. And that's, again, what we're doing. And we're seeing a rise in this. I love it. We see people joining the worship team. We're seeing young people pick up instruments. It's zamar. It's praising and blessing the Lord with a musical instrument. So good. Todah, which means confession, praise, and thanksgiving. Psalms 50, verse 4, it says, Offer to God the sacrifice of you could change Thanksgiving to praise. um, That word is todah. And perform your vows to the Most High. And this one's a fun one because I'm already beginning to evaluate. I've never really thought of worship as a time of confession. Like, I know the Catholic Church has maintained this a little bit. um, But where do we begin to put confession in the context of our corporate gatherings? That's already one that I'm beginning to ask you. But one reason is because we know that sin separates us from God. And so I think it's, it's healthy when we come into the presence of God to just repent, to confess. Amen. Amen. That's good. Yeah, thank you. <laughs> Yodah, which means to revere or worship, to give thanks or praise, to lift the hands. To lift the hands. Second Chronicles 20, verse 21 give thanks, Yodah, to the Lord for his steadfast love endures forever. And, and maybe you came in here and, and you, you've asked the question, well, why, why do you guys lift your hands? Maybe you're new to faith, and why do you lift your hands? And I'd say, that's one of the reasons. The scriptures just say to. It says, extend your hands, to lift your hands. And then finally, our last word, shabak, which means to exclaim, to shout, to laud, to praise, and to commend. Psalms 47, verse 1, clap your hands, all people, shout to God with loud songs of joy. That's what we did was shout to the Lord, shout to the Lord, all the earth, let us sing. Shout to the Lord. I love how many of these involve both physical engagement and heart engagement. It's both. And this is a really fun one because you may, you may be even asking the question a little bit now of like, okay, Caden, you're the worship director, you need to know those, but like why do I need to know the seven Hebrew words of praise? And, and look at this, Psalms 100, verse 4. It says, enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and bless his name. Four out of the seven Hebrew words are used in this single passage. We see to Todah, yada, and Barak. So Todah, if we remember, it says confession, praise and thanksgiving. So all of a sudden, this verse gets a new dynamic. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and confession. It's not simply thanking him. It's actually also repenting. And then enter his courts with praise to which is the spontaneous expression of a spiritual song. So when we enter his presence, it's not about just singing the songs here. It's actually you guys singing the song in your heart, the spontaneous expression, the hymn of the spirit. Give thanks, Yodah, which actually includes to revere or to lift the hands. And then finally, bless Barak, his name. And so two out of the four of those actually involved physical engagement, hands, knees it added a whole new dimension to just a small verse and so that's the beauty of these like I love studying the Psalms when I learned these seven words all of a sudden the text came alive to me because I would go look at what is the praise here what is the thanks here and so you guys can even begin to implement this on your own because it just it brings the scriptures to life all right those are seven words and and you may be sitting here and you're going okay but I, like I still am just curious like why, like why like, why do I have to lift my hands? Why do I have to bow? Not so much like I see it in the scripture, but like, why does God want it? And I just, have to, I just have to challenge us. I think that if that's the why question you're asking, it's just the wrong why question. I think the right why question I want to challenge you guys with is why wouldn't you want to? Why wouldn't you want to? For a God who has so graciously poured everything out for us, a God who has so willingly poured out his son and his love on us, who has pursued us so passionately and has been so compassionate and gentle, why wouldn't we want to? Why wouldn't I want to lift my hands? Why wouldn't I want to sing? Why wouldn't I want to bow down? My heart swings to the other side of going, God, if there are 10, 20, 100 more, tell me. If I had 107 ways that I could bless the Lord, awesome, I get to. Because he has so graciously poured out his love for me. So I just want to challenge you. If you're sitting there and you're just going, why, why, why? Remember, it is not the scriptures who stand on trial. It's our rebellious and deceptive hearts. That's what stands on trial. It's not the scriptures. This is how God has designed us and, and wants us to worship. I would say it's very similar to this. If you guys, are you guys familiar with the five love languages? Yeah, let me, just if you're not, they're the, it's physical touch, Words of affirmation, quality time, acts of service, and gifts. The five love languages. And, and I would say, for me personally, words of affirmation sits really high. And then physical touch sits really low. So if you guys want to love me during this sermon, like, amen, that's good. Come up and affirm me afterwards. But what wouldn't, wouldn't really vibe with me all that well is if you just came up, didn't say a word, and gave me a bear hug and left. I'd be mean, like, what's up? Like, say something, please. Like... No, but I, I think that these five love languages are very similar to these seven Hebrew words of praise. I think that they act as almost seven Hebrew worship ways that we get to love God. And I know, I know this. You guys, I'm, a, I'm sure you know your spouses um, or your siblings or your parents' love languages. And with the knowledge of their love language, wouldn't you want to love them in the way that they feel love, even if it was counter to your preference, your personality, or your comfort? Yes. Yeah. Like we would want to, right? If I, knew that, if I knew that my mom or my parents or my friends had all these certain love languages, I would want to love them in that way. Even if, even if physical touch isn't my highest, I want to give them a hug if that's how they feel loved. And Jesus has laid out these seven ways. He says, these are how you can praise me. And our heart's desire should go, oh, if that's how my God feels loved, then I'm doing them then I want to do them because if that's how he, that's how he has said he receives love, then we should want to do that. Again, it's not the question so much of why do I have to, but it's why wouldn't I want to? Why wouldn't I want to? And so what we're going to look at now is we're going to look at one word in particular, one that I think is, um, it's intimidating. I think, um, yeah, it can be scary. I think it feels vague at times, but I also think it's one of the most pure forms of worship we can offer the Lord. I think it's powerful. I think it's beautiful. And that one is Tehillah, Tehillah, a song or a hymn of praise, a spontaneous expression of a spiritual song. And so before you're clenching your fists and you're like, dang it, I knew he was gonna do this one. He should have just done Zamar or something like music. No, before you're like, I don't wanna do the spontaneous song. I wanna, it it is way more simple than we think it is. It's incredibly simple, but it is incredibly, incredibly profound. So I'm gonna break this out into three categories and it's gonna be the what, the why and the how. Another thing I'd like to just point out that this concept, it's not just a worship leader thing. It's all over the scriptures. It's all over the scriptures. Colossians 3.16, which is something Austin's going to mention, it says, let the words of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. And I've heard it broken down this way, that we, we as Christians, we're going to sing the psalms. We're going to sing the word of God pretty direct. Bless the Lord, O my soul, let all that is within me bless his name. That's the psalm. And then a hymn is just a religious song. And that's the songs we sing up here, like Shout to the Lord and What a Beautiful Name and Yes, I Will. It's the songs that are written, written in the church and we sing. And then there's this last form and it's the spiritual song. And it's the unplanned, it's the unprepped, it's the new song in your heart. And so, if I could say the what, and this is some language from Brian Johnson at Bethel Church, but I love it. He says, It's a fresh expression of worship that is not pre written, planned, or practiced. It's a fresh expression of worship that is not pre written, planned, or practiced. And so, just just so that you can have peace in your heart, I just want to share with you again, this is a scriptural concept. So, there are no slides for this because I have so many verses. Psalms 33, verse 3, it says, Sing to him a new song, play skillfully on the strings. Psalms 40 verse 3, it says, he put a new song in my mouth, the song of praise. Psalms 96 verse 1, oh, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing the Lord to all the earth. Psalms 98 verse 1, do I need to keep going? Oh, sing, okay, I'll keep going. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. Psalms, uh, I mean, Isaiah 42 verse 10, sing to the Lord a new song, his praise from the ends of the earth. We see it in Exodus 15. We see it in Luke chapter 1. The Lord is asking for us to sing a new song sing a new song. And I love the word new in all of these verses is because it's actually more of a farming term. When you look at the definition in the Hebrew, it's actually more of a farming term. It's actually, it's spoken in the context of fresh. It says not last year's harvest, but this year's. Fresh from this year. It even says such as not has been previously worshiped. This idea is the reason why we gravitate towards new music. It's the reason why we don't sing Shout to the Lord every single week all the time. It's because we we like new songs. And and I love this, Isaiah 43, verse 19, a passage that we're all familiar with. It says, remember not the former things. Remember not the the former things, nor consider the things of old. Behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth, do you not perceive it. It will make a way in the wilderness and rivers in the desert. It's the same word. In all of those, sing to the Lord a new song, sing to the Lord a new song, behold, he's doing a new thing. And I think the invitation here is God is always doing something new, therefore we always have something new to thank him for. Amen. God is always doing something new, therefore we always have something to praise him for. And that's why the Lord is asking this invitation of sing a new song, is he's going, "I'm, I'm never sleeping. That's actually, I think it's Psalms 123, but it says that God never sleeps nor slumber, he's always watching over Israel. I love this. In James 1, verse 17, it says, every good gift and every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights. So I might take this verse a little too seriously, but if you enjoyed the weather this morning, it's a good gift. It's reason to thank the Lord. If you enjoy the meal after after church and it, it sits well, thank the Lord. Every good gift, if if you're delighting in your kids as they hang out this afternoon in the summer weather, like Thank the Lord for every good gift is from above. He's always doing a new thing. Therefore, we should do something new. And I just love this Psalms three, verse five, and I quote it to the youth all the time. But um, it says, I lay down and I slept and I awoke for the Lord sustained me. So that means I could even thank him for simply surviving the night because he sustained me. Sing a new song to the Lord. Sing a new song. That's the what. I want to look at the Why? Why do we have to do it in in the corporate gathering context? And I would say it takes the corporate, it takes the large worship gathering and it makes it incredibly intimate and personal. Makes it incredibly intimate and personal. What it does is it bypasses the worship leaders on stage and it engages engages directly with the heart of God. You actually become the minister ministering to the Lord. You step into ministering to his heart. It's the new song. It's a fresh song. It's what's truly happening in your heart. I love music. I love music. I'm not going to look at all the neurological um, things that happen in the brain when music happens, but um, we play music for rest. We play music when we work out to get our stamina up and to get excited. We we listen to music for everything. It can trigger memories. It can trigger emotions. There is something so powerful about music, and I've heard it said by creatives and musicians alike. They say that music has a way of bypassing the brain and engaging the heart. It can bypass the walls that we've set up in our brain and it can engage our heart. And I think, I think that's really, really true and I think that's awesome. But I also think it can be a little bit dangerous if we're not aware of it. And here's what I mean. You guys know the song Living Hope, right? It's, it's a big one here. It's, hallelujah, praise the one who set me free. That one. The, the ver- verse four, it says, then came the morning that sealed the, sealed the promise. Your buried body began to breathe. Then out of the silence, the roaring lion declared, the grave has no claim on me. That is, that is, that is top stuff. Like worship music, that is, that is amazing. But, but here's what I mean about the power of music is there have been times, the first time I heard that it was so alive and it erupted in me. But the danger is when I hear that a hundred times later, I can be singing it. I can be clapping with it, and yet my emotions and my mind are completely detached because of muscle memory, memorization, and rhythm. You guys see that. There's there's been moments where I'm singing a song, and I'm like, what am I singing? Like, my mind is is elsewhere. It's thinking about what I'm going to eat or whatever. We can worship, and we do this on Sundays where the songs we get so familiar with that we almost disengage our mind. And the problem with that is in Luke chapter 10, Jesus is asked a question. And he says, well, what is the greatest commandment? And Jesus' response is this. He says, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength, and with all your mind. What he's saying is you shall love me with all of your being, with everything that is in me. And if we look at the scriptures, it says the, the heart is described in the scriptures as the inner man or the inner woman. It's where your personality lives. It's where your feelings live. It's, it's where your emotions dwell. It's the, it's the inner person, your heart. The mind is the place where thought processes take place, sentences form, ideas come. That's where the mind is. And then in Genesis 2, verse 7, well, let me not skip ahead, but the soul is the borrowed breath in our lungs. And that's what Genesis 2, verse 7 says. It says that God breathed life into man's lungs and he became a living soul. So our soul is the life in our lungs. It's the breath. It's the oxygen within us. And then finally, our strength would be our physical body, our hands, our arms, our vocal cords, our diaphragm. And so you see... How in a moment of worship, I'm singing a song like Living Hope, and and my brain, because of memorization and muscle memory, can be completely detached, and my emotions. Maybe I'm not feeling like he's my Living Hope, and I'm actually feeling pretty upset with him, or I'm desperate. And all of a sudden, I'm singing this song because music has a way of bypassing my brain, and yet I'm actually not loving God with all of my being. However, with a spontaneous song, a song that comes from your heart, it aligns all four of those parts of your being in a moment of worship. Because when I, when, I, when I sing a new song, I'm pulling what's happening in my heart. If I'm, if I'm mad at God, if I'm sad, if I'm desperate, if I need a touch, if I'm happy, if, if I'm captivated with him, I'm pulling that, and then I'm beginning to form sentences and ideas and words in my mind. And then I begin to use the borrowed breath in my lungs, my soul, and then I begin to activate my diaphragm and my vocal cords, and they rub together and produce sound. And all of a sudden, in a moment of worship, I had the opportunity to love my God with all of my being. You see that? Does that make sense? In a moment, I was able to pour out all my affection on Jesus because it was my own song. It's what I'm going through. It's it's the words I formed. It's the ideas I formed, and I was able to pour it out on Jesus. That's the power of a spontaneous song. I also think there's a benefit of when we begin to sing these spontaneous songs, and it can happen in an instrumental, it can happen. And when the worship leader says, lift your voice, sing your own song. Um, if I begin to practice singing my own song here, I am far more likely to sing it at work. I'm far more likely to sing it when I'm making lunch for the kids, when I am picking up the kids from school. I am more likely to begin to just bless the Lord on my own because I begin to practice it here. You guys see that, yeah? Amen. Okay, finally, the how. The how, this one's, you may be going, oh, it's intimidating. I wanna clarify what it is not. It is not a freestyle spoken word, rapper song, where words must rhyme, melodies must be catchy, thoughts must be profound, all while offering something theologically insightful. It's not what it is. And if you have the gifting of doing that, please, come talk to me. Like, we're gonna write some songs, because that is crazy. That's not what a spontaneous song is. A song is simply a moment of you engaging your being, your heart, and pouring it out on Jesus. It doesn't have to be always poetic. Sometimes it happens and it feels cool when it is. It doesn't always have to be beautiful and have perfect rhyme structure. No, the Lord is just saying, hey, what's in your heart? Tell me. And so I just want to show you like really simply what this would look like, because I bet you guys have heard it when the worship leader says, hey, lift your voice, sing your own song. I think Mac did it even today. Of just, hey, lift your voice. Tell him how much you love him. And 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 I think there's there's a part of us where we just we disappear and we gravitate and we just watch the worship leaders do that. But this is what it would look like, very simply. Maybe you're tone deaf, you can't keep rhythm, you can't sing. That's okay. It does say make a joyful noise to the Lord, and maybe that's you. But this is what it would look like on on a very simple level. I would just say begin by telling God who He is back to Him. You don't have to sing it. It could just look like this. God, You're so loving. God, you're gracious. God, you're so gentle. You're compassionate. You're rich in mercy. You're abounding in love. Oh, Jesus, there's nothing like your love. And you just tell him who he is. Back to him. Or you could begin to just thank him. You could just thank him. God, thank you for the the breath in my lungs. God, thank you that I have purpose. Thank you that I have a calling. Thank you that you have chosen me, that you've adopted me, that I'm a son or a daughter of the most high God. And you just begin to thank him. That's, that's a spontaneous song, and maybe if you're feeling more bold, you could begin to try to add melody, or you could, I would say, maybe try to get more poetic and creative with it. If, if something like, um, God, your loving resonates with you, and it just, it hits different in a moment, then just begin to explore that. Describe the love of God to him. Describe, oh God, there is nothing like your love. Your love is relentless. It's captivating. It's overwhelming. It's always in pursuit of me. God, there's nothing like your love. And, and maybe a word just resonates with you and you get the word "captivated." I'm captivated with the love of God. Then in boldness, you could maybe begin to try to sing it and add melody. Oh, there's nothing like your love. Your love is captivating. And all of a sudden, you stepped out of simply being a consumer and you became a contributor of writing the, your own love poem for God. Your own love poem, your own affection, you began to pour out at the feet of Jesus. That's the power of a spontaneous song. That's the power of singing a new song to the Lord. And I think here's the danger in in even the larger church culture is we, we have a lot of really gifted songwriters. And so the church has gotten very good at singing Hallmark songs. Songs that are not written by them songs that are perfect, they're poetic, they're rhythmic, they have perfect rhyme structure, but they were written by a guy in another state years ago who spent hours chasing the presence of God and he wrote it. I don't think Hallmark songs are wrong. Like, I I, I need you to hear me. I love Hallmark songs. The the big songs that that shake the world, that, that are played on the radio, I love, I love those songs. But we cannot simply be a group of people who sing Hallmark songs. Eventually, we have to become the poet ourselves. Eventually, we have to pour out our affection, what is going on in our life, ourselves. Eventually, we have to move past it. Zach Needs describes it. He's a pastor at Gateway Church in Texas, and he describes the worship experience. This moment in worship with your body is very similar to it in An the anniversary dinner with the bride and the groom. It's simply a moment where you just delight in each other. You just delight in each other and you pour out your guys' love on each other. That's, that's what it is. It is God, the groom, and the bride of Christ coming together and just pouring out love on each other. And the church has gotten good at the worship leader who would be the server in this story. He comes in and he hands a Hallmark card to us and we sign our name at the bottom and we hand it to God. We go, thanks God. And God goes, that's actually very honoring. Thank you. Um, but what's really going on in your hearts? Like what are you really feeling? I think that's the invitation. There's nothing wrong with Hallmark songs, but again, we have to have a a balanced diet of both, all seven forms of praise. And this is just one of them that I think we need to try to lean into as a body. So quickly, I wanna share just two stories with you as we talk about worshiping intention, as we talk about living intention. The first one comes from 2 Samuel chapter 6. It's the story of David. Israel has just brought in the presence of God They've just brought in the Ark of the Covenant, and David is out in front of all of Israel, and he's dancing, and he's stripped down to his undergarments, just praising God. And if you know the story, in in the story, his wife sees him from a window, and she despises him in his heart. He gets home later that night, and and she says, oh, how how marvelous did the king look today? And David says, I will become even more undignified than this. And, And I just find what's so unique about that story is it was not David who was judged by the Lord. It was the wife who judge David's worship. And so if we want to be a church who worships biblically and worships intention, we have to kill the idea of judging each other's worship. Like we have to kill it. We have to fight everything inside of us to go, oh, I don't like the way that person worships. I don't, they're, they're distracted. Oh my gosh, they sing too loud. They're way off. We have to, we have to kill it. We have to fight it. But then I also want to clarify for some, maybe my charismatics who are like, I have permission to do anything now. That's also not true. Matthew 5, verse 23 through 26, Jesus is is speaking about anger, and he says, hey, when you come and you, you give an offering on my altar, he says, while you're offering and you remember that there is a division with another brother, he says, hey, I want you to leave. I want you to leave the offering on the altar, go and reconcile the relationship, and then come back and offer it. And so what that tells me is that as we worship, we need to be conscious of the people around us. He says, when you are offering the altar, remember, and you remember a division, hey, go fix that before you worship. He says, leave the worship on the altar and go reconcile the relationship. So we have to be conscious of the people around us. Again, it is the betterment of the body. It's, it's team over me. I, I've seen this actually happen in church, but um, a conga line happened up. Yeah. And they started walking around. I will say, I don't know if my mom's, I think my mom's here, but she didn't love it. And, and, and let me just tell you, maybe you feel this desire to start a conga line, and I would just say maybe don't. <laughs> yeah, like it's, it's the betterment of the body. It's the family over me. I have to restrict and hinder my own preferences for the betterment of the body. Does that make sense? How we have to live in tension. We have to be, it's, it's what PK has even been saying for so long of the, hey, um, I, I don't care, but also what will people think of me? What will people think of me? And I don't, I don't really care. It's holding both of those, holding both of those, and so um, if you guys would, would you stand with me? I want to share just one story, really, really quick. Um, I was meaning to do it earlier, but I forgot. Um, I was leading worship at my dad's church a few years back, and and we had finished, we'd finished the worship set, and gave the last little strum and I looked at my dad and gave him the little worship leader nod and he was just like this. And I was like, all right, yeah, that's cool. We'll just keep going and just playing. And I'm like trying to get his attention. And like, dad, like we're done. Like, and he's here. And then I look over and my mom's here. And I began to look at the church and the church was, they were just, they were lost. They were lost in the presence of God. And all of a sudden I, I like in my immaturity, I like caught it. I was like, oh, they're worshiping. And I was like, and we kept, we kept running with it. And to be honest with you, for probably the next 15 or 20 minutes, I didn't sing a, I didn't sing a word on the microphone. And the congregation just lifted up their affection towards Jesus. And they just poured out their heart and their love and their adoration for him. And let me tell you, the goal of a worship leader is to disappear. That is our goal. That is our heart's goal. And tell me, it's hard, but yet it is the most satisfying and the most fulfilling thing ever when the worship is like, oh, I didn't even notice. We were so lost in the presence of God. That's the power of a spontaneous song is it bypasses us, and it just puts you in the throne room of God. And you just get to say, God, I love you. I love you. And so I just— I. I think when we talk about worship, we have to be really careful because it can rub people the wrong way. It can ruffle feathers. I think we can get nervous because it's talking about physical engagement and it's, it's, it's pure. It's like, that's my worship. Don't judge my worship. Don't look at my worship. Don't watch my worship. But I, I, I need us to hear this. This sermon, these seven words of praise, it is not about behavior modification. It is, it's about heart transformation that leads to loving God well. That's the reason why we do this. I need you to hear, I don't want you to just be like, all right, I'm gonna be this religious robot and I'm gonna do these seven words and I'm gonna walk down the list. And I'm, no, that's not the goal. The purpose is Jesus, amen. The purpose, the pursuit, the reason, the reason why we sing, the reason why we bow, the reason why we clap, it is all Jesus. We are captivated with the love of Jesus. And so I don't want you to hear me that like, oh my gosh, my worship has been judged and I can't do it. No, I'm hoping that we now have a biblical foundation and we can go crazy. Why? Because he is so good. Why? Because he is so loving. He is the focus. He is the reason. He is, he's, he's all of it. Jesus. Amen? Amen? Amen. All right, if you guys would, would you bow your heads with me? Let's pray. Oh, Jesus, you are the reason. You're the reason why we sing, why we clap, why we lift our hands. So God, we just thank you for your love. We thank you for your kindness. We just thank you for the way that you have been patient with every single one of us. And so God, we just give you the honor. We give you the glory. There's no one like you in all of the earth. There is no one like you and there will never be. So Jesus, we bless you. We honor you. We give you this time. It's in your mighty name. Everyone said, amen, amen.